Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello and welcome to another edition of the LightningInsider.com podcast. I am Eric Erlinson from Lightning Insider. Com, coming to you after Game 2 of the NHL Stanley Cup semifinal round between the Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Islanders. A victory Wednesday, if you will, as Tampa Bay comes away with a 4-2 win over the Islanders to even up the best-of-seven series at a game apiece with Game 3 moving the series to Nassau Coliseum in Uniondale, New York on Thursday. That'll be an 8 p.m. game, as all these remaining games will be. By the way, just your PSA reminder here, you can find that game on USA Network, not on NBC Sportsnet, but on uh, USA Network. All right, so we talked after game number one about the areas in which Tampa Bay was going to have to improve in order to give themselves a better chance of victory, right? And I told you that I bought into a couple of theories, explanations that the team was providing after game one, the comments from the players and from head coach John Cooper as well, that there were just a couple of areas that needed to be cleaned up. One of them was the turnovers, too many forced plays, in game one that feeds literally right into what the Islanders want to do in a game. They want to create, they want to put teams into situations to where they're turning the puck over and that feeds right into the Islanders in their transition game. And that's precisely what happened on the opening goal for New York in game one. Uh, Again, a game or a goal that at that time didn't stand as the game winner, but did win the game basically for New York at that time. So um, what we saw in game two, and the other area that they needed to improve on was their, their just, just their battle level, just their will to win pucks, just their will to you know, win those battles along the wall or you know, down low in the corners, one-on-one battles. It's a mindset. And you heard John Cooper if you heard these comments, he basically said at the end of a game, especially in the playoffs, he wants to know that the other team needs a lot of ice bags after a game. He wants other teams to know that when they've played Tampa Bay, they played Tampa Bay. The ice bags, of course, a metaphor for bumps and bruises or whatnot from going into battles against Tampa Bay. And 
He said there were some guys on the Islanders that maybe didn't even have to shower after game one. So not a ringing endorsement for your team after one game of a playoff series. So what did we see in game two? Well, the easy thing for them to do was just, uh, I mean, the puck management obviously is key. It's a key in every game, especially for this team. But it was really key tonight to see if they could improve on that. On that, And, you know, for the first five minutes of the game, you're like, oh, no, not so sure they got the message. Uh, I think it looks like they're continuing to do the uh, Apple turnovers uh, left and right. Uh, so they didn't improve on it right away. But as the game went on, they settled down, they got into their game, and then unlike, like, uh, game one, Tampa Bay started to dictate – their style of play and the way that they did it was simply just going racing the pucks racing the pucks and winning battles you know there's so much at this time of the year that it just comes down to who wants it more and the islanders showed in game one that they were willing to put in that type of an effort lighting didn't so you knew that was an area they were going to have to improve upon heading into game two, and they did. I mean, just go back and watch some of the tape and just see how hard Tampa Bay was competing for pucks, right? Like it's, it sounds so simple on the surface to say that simply just outwork your opponent. You know, your opponent has a lot to say in that as well, and what level is your opponent going to get to to compete against you? The Islanders had plenty of compete. The Lightning didn't in game one. And in, in this particular one, the areas in which the Lightning were sending pucks, racing to pucks, and winning pucks. And again, it sounds simple, but it just, it just feeds into what Tampa Bay wants to do. Right? They want to be the team that wins those battles, wins those races, the speed they have on the forecheck, establishing that part of their game. And they did it in game two. And it leads to puck possession. Puck possession leads to opportunities. Opportunities lead to scoring chances. Scoring chances, you hope, eventually lead to goals. And they got four of them in game two after getting none or just one, and that was a late power play goal on top of that, in game number one. You know, and the numbers, you know, if you follow some of the advanced numbers, you know, they slightly favored Tampa Bay in game two. Shot attempts were around 53%. Scoring chances were about 55%. The high danger chances were pretty even. The expected goal rate actually favored the Islanders in this game, in game number two. But the skill level Tampa Bay has more than made up for it. Now, there's a couple of plays that we need to bring up. First of all, Andre Vasilevsky was spectacular in this game. The one glove save he made on Kyle Palmieri in the first period, just eye-stopping. Highlight real material, you could argue it might be the save of the playoffs. It was that good. The save he made on Anthony Beauvillier at the end of the second period, again, massive save 
time and situation factored in. I mean, there were literally about seven seconds left on the clock, somewhere in that range, when he made that save to keep it a 2-1 lead for Tampa Bay going into the third period. Now, about the two plays that I mentioned, two highly controversial plays. But before we delve too deep into it, if you believe in things balancing out, things balanced out in this game. Because usually an egregious error by an official by a, on a judgment call that goes against you, you don't normally get the quote-unquote makeup opportunity on fair value, if you, if you follow what I'm saying. But in some ways, I think we saw that tonight. Because, and look, the only reason we're not talking more about this is because Tampa Bay wins the game. But things could have been much, much different because with Tampa Bay already up one nothing on a Braden Point goal, set up on a, just a brilliant pass from Nikita Kucherov from behind the net, the two work some more magic, and Braden Point is in low. He has a, a puck that goes off his skate. He's trying to pull it onto his backhand as he's cutting across the low slot. And he's open. He's got it's only him and goaltender Semyon Varlamov. That's it. So as he's making his way, and he's got some speed going on, because you know, Nikita Kucherov and Braden Point play the game at a high pace. But as Point is trying to pull the puck onto his backhand, he is shoved from behind by Adam Pellick, and he goes flying into New York goaltender Semyon Varlamov to the point where not only does he knock Verlamov back, Point actually hits the crossbar with his, with his head. Now he's, he's got his helmet on, but the front part of his helmet strikes directly with the crossbar. And I don't know how in the world you're down to your eight best officials in the game. They give Braden Point a goalie interference penalty on the play. I'm still trying to wrap my head around how any official in their right mind can read it that way. I mean, you have to understand what you're watching. And what you're watching, and I don't care if you're the lead official or the trailing official on this play, you have a Braden Point who has a clear path and he's trying to score a goal. You think he's going to launch himself into the goaltender? Like, that was a launch. Do you think he's doing that on purpose? And how do you miss the cross-check? How do you miss Pellick shoving point into his own goaltender to the point where Varlamov had to be removed from the game? Now, he later came back. But he had to leave the game because the concussion protocols dictate that he had to come out of the game because of the contact that he took. But please, somebody somewhere explain to me how any official in their right mind can view that as a penalty on Braden Point. So the Islanders end up with a power play out of that. 
out of their own player launching Brayton Point into their goaltender, and they end up with a power play. As somebody pointed out to me, you could argue that could have been a penalty shot rewarded for Braden Point. And if this feels like revisionist history, you're not wrong. Because there was a game earlier in these playoffs where Nikita Kucherov had the same almost identical situation to where he was shoved into Florida goaltender Chris Dreger from behind by Mackenzie Wieger. And Kucherov, who arguably could have been awarded a penalty shot, ends up in the penalty box. I, I don't know how this stuff happens. And, and look, it, it ended up in the long run not being a factor in the game. But boy, at the time, with if you're up one nothing. You're really controlling the pace of the game. You have that call go against you, and then the Islanders score on the power play to tie the game. I, I know you embrace the suck and dance in the rain, but boy, that felt like a giant puddle for Tampa Bay to have to dance in because that was among the worst calls I've ever seen. And now we've seen them twice in these playoffs. But again, I don't know how we're at this point of the year with the eight best officials because they're graded and those who don't make the cut don't get to work the later rounds. So here you are with your top eight officials at this time of the year, and they make that call. Now, as I said, it didn't factor into it. And if you believe in yin and the yang, the balance of everything, it ended up being a wash because on Andre Palat's go-ahead goal in the second period, again, it's 1-1 after 1, but his go-ahead goal in the second period, which, again, is set up on a brilliant play by Nikita Kucherov, that... Kucherov takes a stretch pass from Victor Hedman. It looked like you had a chance at a breakaway. He realized it didn't. He kind of peels off and kind of maneuvers his way around the zone over by the left circle, eludes a couple of Islanders players, and waits for Andre Palat to come up as the trailer and puts the puck right onto Palat's stick. Palat has an open chance from between the hash marks and doesn't miss. Converts his first goal since game four of round one against the Florida Panthers. Puts Tampa Bay up 2-1 at the time. Now, here's where the balance comes in. The Lightning had too many men on the ice. It's pretty clear when you look at the overhead view, there were six players on the ice. You had a trailing defenseman below the red line. You had two defensemen above the blue line. And then you had the three forwards, Braden Point, who was making a net drive, Nikita Kucherov, who had the puck on his stick in the circle, and Palat coming down the slot. So the play didn't have, you know, the extra player didn't wasn't involved in the play. And that's probably why it was missed by the officials. But either way, I mean, let's be honest. The, the Islanders should never have had that power play. And in fact, the Lightning should have been on a power play when Point was shoved into the end of Arlamov. And the Islanders end up getting a power play goal 
out of it. So take the two errors by the officials off the board. It's still a one nothing game for Tampa Bay. Don't be left out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lightning Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Now, here again is Eric. They would go on to tack on two more goals in the third period. Something we haven't seen, believe it or not, all these playoffs. A goal by the defense. Yes, and if you had Jan Ruda on your bingo card, congratulations, you're lying. Jan Ruda scores the first goal by any Lightning defenseman in these playoffs in the 13th playoff game of the season with an absolute bullet from the right point. And again, you know what it's set up by? It's set up by the hustle and the hard work of Barclay Goodrow on the forecheck. Because Goodrow gets in on the forecheck, down in the right corner, wins a puck battle, gets it back to Ruda, who is cocked and ready to go, has that shot loaded up, and fires off a... I mean, Varlamov had no chance on the goal. I mean, it was earmarked for the top corner, right past his glove, just an absolute bullet. And that made it a 3-1 game. And again, the first goal these playoffs by a Lightning defenseman, and something we've talked about and has been a topic of conversation here over the past couple of games. Later on in the period on the power play, Victor Hedman would add his first goal to postseason. It's hard to believe. Here we are 13 games in, but Victor Hedman gets his first goal of the playoffs. So the Lightning end up with two goals by defensemen in this game, makes it a 4-1 game. Uh, Matt Barzell would add a a late goal with about three and a half to go on a, a busted coverage play. Uh, but again, it ends up having no damage as the Lightning do go on to win the game 4-2. Now we had some uh, brouhaha, if you will, at the end of the game. Travis Zajac, I'm not sure what Travis Zajac was thinking, but he... As Jay Retcher pointed out to me, he ends up getting not a double minor for roughing. He got two roughing minors. Granted, with 20 minutes at the 20-minute mark, it, it has no effect on anything. But he he wrestled and tackled Anthony Sorelli to the ice. And Sorelli lost his helmet. And I don't know that he directly hit his head on the ice, but it kind of looked a little bit like that. Um, good news is, as John Cooper said afterwards, that they're pretty sure that uh, Sorelli is going to be okay because Sorelli did not stay out on the ice as the players, you know, gathered at center and raised their sticks to the crowd to salute the crowd. Uh, but it looks like he'll be okay. But then Zajac also got a roughing call against Barclay Goodrow. So he picked up two roughing calls on the play. And you don't think, this is Travis Zajac. You don't think of him in this light. You don't think of him in this manner as being that type of a player. But again, just as we saw in this Florida series, game starts to get away. You get some of this nonsense that takes place at the end of a game. And it almost potentially got a player hurt which is why this stuff is just, to me, it's ludicrous. It's ridiculous. You know, and I, and I said the same thing when Pat Maroon 
did uh, the same at the end of game five off the faceoff. It's just, it's just stupid stuff. But we saw it at the end of the game. Uh, none of that's going to carry over. You won't see much of that come up when the series shifts to New York. Again, you might see physical tones trying to be set, but not that manner. You know, Pat Maroon and, and Matt Martin kind of went back and forth at each other. Actually did finally end up dropping the gloves in this game. You saw Yanni Gord and Leo Komarov mixed up as Komarov was trying to send a message. Oh, you beat us this game. We're going to beat you up at the end of it. Those two were engaged for quite a while on the ice to the point where we couldn't even see who was uh, who was down on the ice right in front of the lightning bench. And uh, boy, did the crowd erupt when they saw that it was Yanni Gord that emerged out of that. But that's how the lighting got themselves engaged in this game, by showing that determination, that will, that compete level, that battle level, all that stuff. And if you want to read more on that, I have my story centered around that topic and that idea. You can go find it at lightninginsider.com under the game recaps. So that sends us to New York for game number three. And what should we expect in game number three? Well, I would hope you would expect the same sort of compete level, at least at least this type of compete level from Tampa Bay. Because as series go, we know it's adjustments from game to game. Whoever lost the last game has to make the necessary adjustments. By the way, to kind of put a, a bow on the, the Braden Point-Varlamov situation. Uh, Braden Point was asked about it after the game, and his first thought was it was good to see Varlamov was okay, that he wasn't injured. And then he gave a really political answer about how he ended up as the guy in the penalty box. Um, but I don't expect to see any of this stuff carry over on to Thursday. I expect it to be... Another intense game. I will be curious to see if the Islanders make any lineup changes because Oliver Wallstrom, who is a former uh, top pick of theirs, uh, has been injured and missed the, the first two games of this series, but he has been taking warm-ups, and basically Barry Trotz has said uh, he, did, he didn't feel the need to change the lineup because the team had won. You know, they had won games four, five, and six against the, uh, the Bruins. So they had won four straight games. So uh, I would be curious if uh, he does make a lineup decision change for game three. But the tempo, the pace, everything that the Lightning wanted to do coming out of game one, they put to use in game two. Now you need to at least match that for game two. Probably take it up a little bit. I think you need to understand the Islanders are going to want to protect their home ice. You know, look, you're going to hear a ton in the next, depending on when you're listening to this, 36 hours about how great the atmosphere is at Nassau Coliseum. And it's not wrong. I mean, the crowd has been great. And I'm looking forward because I am going to New York for games three and four. I am looking forward to sort of soaking in that atmosphere. It sounds like it's been a lot of fun. 
So the Islanders are going to want to feed off that, right? The crowd will try and do their best to intimidate the opposing team. Lightning will not be intimidated by it. They're too veteran of a team. They've been through too many playoff situations. They're not going to concern themselves with the crowd at Nassau Coliseum because the crowd does not have an impact on how the game is played. It might create some energy, but it has no effect whatsoever on what takes place on the ice. So it was a good effort, a strong effort, the type of effort we needed to see from this team in order to even the series. They're now 12-0 and following a playoff loss, and this includes the Game 4 loss to Columbus in 2019. So if you count that, they won Game 1 against Columbus last year. So if you, if you tie that together, and the league does, they're 12-0 and following a loss in the playoffs since being swept by Columbus. That is the longest such stretch in NHL playoff history. So again, following up a loss with a win. 12-0 and in the last 12 times it happens. And if you need a sign of maturity of a team, there's no better sign, no greater sign than that. How much this team has matured as a group and put it all together. All right, so again, game three on Thursday, 8 p.m. That game will be on USA Network. Uh, Before I check out here, make sure you check out smackapparel.com. Smackapparel.com is some great items. And if you use the code BOLTS21, B-O-L-T-S-21, you'll get 21% off any order you make, not just the Big Cat shirt, not just the Back to Boat shirt or any other of the Tampa Bay hockey-affiliated gear, you can, you can buy anything in their collection. And again, use the code BOLTS21 and you'll get 21% off any order from smackapparel.com. Please take care of our sponsors. They take care of us. They make this or help us be possible. Uh, so if you can, just check out their inventory. They got some really cool stuff. I got a couple of old Smack Apparel shirts here in my closet. Uh, my son has one as well. They're not just hockey affiliated. They have soccer, football, basketball, everything. So again, smackapparel.com and use the code BOLTS21. All right, I'm checking out because I got to go check into my flight here pretty soon. Um, again, I will be in New York for games three and four. Uh, So the next recap podcast will come to you after game three. Uh, So check that out. Make sure you rate, subscribe, share this podcast. Let everybody know it's out there. Tell your friends, tell your buddies, tell everybody you can about the LightningInsider.com podcast. So until next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.